Hey, it's Tom bringing you another episode of the Cannon Boomers podcast. Delighted this week to have Warren Bobrow on the show. Warren has written six books. The most recent one was Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics, all about how to infuse your cocktails with a little bit of THC. And uh, we talk a lot about dosing, flavor, all of the things that you have to know if you're going to go this route. Warren has an encyclopedic knowledge of this stuff. He was a trained chef and got into using THC in his cocktails as treatment for his own glaucoma. So he knows it as a medicine, and he appreciates all the effects that cannabis uh, brings, and i um, happy to have him on the show. As always, thanks to Danny in Milwaukee for making us sound good, and enjoy the show. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. We're here with Warren Bobro. That's quite a niche you uh, carved for yourself. You have six books on cocktails? I do have six books, uh, and one, one of them is in French. How did you get into this specialty? I had a dream. Uh, originally, initially, well, maybe not completely originally initially, but my second career as opposed to my first career, I had it in my mind that I wanted to become a chef. And I had a newly minted degree in film from Emerson, but I really didn't do so well in the television or the film industry. So I became a dishwasher and I worked my way up the, uh, the ladder and became a, uh, a certified chef. But uh, it was my passion. It was what I wanted to be doing. Unfortunately, it wasn't a big moneymaker because this was back in the 1980s and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the culinary arts then. It was just uh, waking up at that time. It's almost the Anthony Bourdain route. Uh, uh, well, he's a little older than I, but for very much the same route. Whereas he worked in New York City, I was doing my, my stint as a pot scrubber dishwasher up in Maine because I'd uh, fallen for a girl up there and I was living up there and I really liked it. And it was a nice place to live and there weren't a whole lot of tourists like there are now. And it was just a, a good place to learn how to be a cook. But uh, it wasn't a good place to be poor. And as I, as I learned that if you wanted to go further in, in almost any career that you want to go into, you have to have this, the right education. And I did not. So I was struggling. And I took a job uh, down in Charleston, South Carolina, which was a, certainly a nice, warm environment down there. And uh, got into Johnson & Wales for culinary school and, uh, and did that for a couple of years. And I founded a fresh pasta business down there and lost it in Hurricane Hugo in uh, September of 1989. Wow. I borrowed money from my father and grandfather uh, who were living at the time. And it took me uh, 20 years to pay them off. I got a job working in a bank. Wow. Again, starting at the bottom, worked my way up, but I started as a teller and I ended as an executive assistant to C-level and above in private banking. You know the restaurant industry, the food service industry, and you know banking, and you know know film. My, you know, I worked in motion pictures and in television. You have a a wealth of knowledge and experience. Uh, I'm I'm an excellent failure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fail forward, right? I mean, that's the always fail forward. Yes, that's that's what I do, and it's it, it you know it it hasn't come without its struggles. I went bankrupt. There was a divorce. I lost my house. I lost my car. Um, I was disowned. What else is there in life? So you found some passion and and I don't know if solace, but some expertise in crafting cocktails. Uh, absolutely, I'm a master mixologist in cocktails, but my true expertise 
is crafting THC-infused cocktails. Now, that's really interesting because um, it's just emerging now. I mean, and I imagine it takes a, a lot of experimentation to, to figure out what it, works. Tom, what it takes is a lot of overdosing. <laughs> that's what it takes. And, and I figure it out through the overdosing. And, it, and it's not overdosing like, you know, taking a, 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 you know, a massive dose of LSD or mushrooms and, and being destroyed for, for the rest of your life. This isn't like that. This is your body reacts, your gut reacts differently to, to edibles than, than other foodstuffs. It, it passes through your liver differently. So some people get sick and I got sick probably more than others. And I figured out that if you take a little bit of uh, fresh lemon juice and some uh, peppercorns together, it uh, eliminates that problem. You know, I've had edibles and they, we all know they can sneak up on you. I mean, the, the Maureen Dowd story when she was curled up in the closet in Colorado, you can easily take too much. Um, oh, yes, you can. And uh, see, see, I wrote my book, Cannabis Cocktails, not for recreational users who are looking to get high quick. I was looking for someone like myself who has a, a, some sort of affliction. I mean, I hate the word affliction. It, it, it sounds like there's something wrong with me. But uh, I, the one thing I did inherit from my late father was his, his eyes. And he had glaucoma, and so do I. So I found that uh, that cannabis, through my ophthalmologist, cannabis works to reduce the interocular pressure behind my eyes. And therefore, when you smoke cannabis or eat cannabis, as I found out, uh, it reduces the pressure. And I wasn't, I'm not, you know, gobbling down a bottle of Advil every month because I had headaches all the time. So. What I found is that when you smoke a joint in public, everyone knows your business, and that's not necessarily a good thing in a state like New Jersey, where I live, where cannabis, although used widely, is still illegal. So you can get a the, the wrong idea, if you will, from uh, members of the local uh, constabulary. Even though I have a cannabis card and they're supposed to leave me alone, still, it's it's the dialogue that you would have through getting caught smoking weed in public that I just don't want to go through again. So I, uh, I derived a way of inserting, if you will, THC into craft spirits and also in mocktails. And uh, the stuff hits in about five minutes or less. It's pretty wow. And because I'm using uh, what's called, I'm doing a technique called decarbing. And through decarbing, you're releasing the THCA from THC. And THC is the stuff that gives us that euphoric feeling that we're looking for. And so the, the, the idea of cocktails was something that came very easily to me. And I know that cocktails are a very social adventure. And when you sit down with someone, you, you often say, hey, let's go out for a drink before you say, hey, let's go out and smoke a joint. So I figured out a way of putting that THC into your craft drink that hits amazingly well. It's a predictable high. It can be strong. It could be medium. It could be weak. It's kind of like uh, eating Thai food, if you will. And when you go out for Thai food, you wouldn't necessarily get it Thai spicy the first time around. I recommend a very small amount of THC in the, in the drink. But if you're doing it for medicinal purposes like I was, you might want something that's a little bit stronger. Right. In Thai food, you tell them I want a three or a four, or some people want it at 10. 
Yeah, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. I'm, I'm about a three usually. Do you talk to people about, or do you instruct in your books how to decarb? Is that part of what you do? Yes, I teach. I teach how to do it through uh, the method of doing it in the oven in my book, Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics. And that's not necessarily the best way. In fact, it's probably the worst way because most ovens are not calibrated, as I found. Uh, the temperature that you're looking for is about 240 degrees, and it should be an even temperature, not 240 one minute and 290 the next, you find that you burn off the uh, cabinoids that are the health-giving items in the uh, in the cannabis and also the stuff that gets you stoned. So uh, you don't want to heat it too high. So as I found that when you use an oven or, God forbid, use a microwave oven, which I explain how to do, and you can do it with a microwave, but it's problematic, as I learned, because not every microwave is, again, calibrated. Sometimes some are 900 degrees, some are 700 degrees and you can fry it up. But uh, I learned by doing, and that's you know part of the fun of being a trained chef is the fact that you don't always do things right. And when you do things the improper way, that's how you learn. And I try to take away some of that mystery of learning in the book, Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics by making the mistakes for the reader. The reader doesn't have to make those mistakes because I explain it all. So it's a it's a test and learn thing, and you are passing on your learnings. When you decarb, you've got some flour, and it sounds like essentially you're baking it. Yeah, and- you're baking it at a low temperature. It's not, you know, it's just over boiling. So it's uh, boiling is what two twelve. I, I, you know, two hundred and forty degrees is kind of like a low simmer. So it's it's toasting it, if you will. It's okay. not it's not like putting your cannabis in a toaster oven. I did that too and and that was especially problematic because that really cycles in temperature. Hmm. So then are you straining the resins or how do you do you put the flour right into the cocktail or what's the last leg? That's a great question because what I teach you to do is to infuse it into the craft spirits or into a simple syrup or into raw honey or into uh, condensed milk or heavy cream or even uh, Belgian Creek Lambeck, you know, mm. a, a Belgian cherry beer. So I, I utilize a piece of equipment, uh, and I talked about it in the book very, very briefly because I had just gotten one for the first time, and it's called the Magical Butter Machine. And I really liked it at first, and I, I still – use it, but it doesn't give me the results that I'm really looking for and that I'm getting from the Levo oil uh, machine. So I've been experimenting with with technology a little bit. But in the book, I teach you how to do all the infusions with double boilers. And the reason why that's important is because I teach you to, to extract the THC in a method which is very similar to becoming a saucier, which is my my training in the culinary arts. So I want to teach you how to take the flavors out of it, not necessarily the terpenes and not necessarily the flavors, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you want to take the flavors of the cannabis, the the earthiness, the spiciness, the skunkiness, the diesel fuelness, and you want to put those flavors into the craft spirits. But the craft spirits should they should match those flavors. So you have to be very cultivar sensitive or strain sensitive because not every strain goes with every type of craft spirit, as you'll learn. 
So gin goes with certain types of strains and bourbon go with others and rye goes with others and mezcal go with others. And it takes, you know, a little bit of experimentation to find those things. But fortunately, in my recipes, I make recommendations right there. And they're pretty mm -hmm. much pretty easily found strains. I mean, I, did, I, I found what I could in here in New Jersey, but I imagine if you lived in Maine or Massachusetts or California or Rhode, Rhode Island or any of the places where there's legal cannabis, you'd probably do better. So you've got a great background for this, having a chef's training and you have the palate. I mean, you know about sweet and sour and umami, I guess. So yeah. There's a lot that goes into this when you are considering what the cannabis tastes like. And like you said, there's different cultivars and not just the taste, but also the effect. Yeah, it is the effect. And the effect can be quite striking. As I learned uh, two weeks ago, I did a, uh, I was on the Viceland live television show. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked me to make CBD cocktails, thinking that they were going to have a, a THC effect. And I, they, they asked me. They said, "Why don't we, you know, why don't we feel anything?" And I said, "Because there's nothing in there for you to feel anything." And that's the misconception when you have these bartenders all over the country and they're becoming superstars by using CBD and basically it's snake oil because to have any sort of health giving properties in CBD, it's negated by the alcohol. I mean, that's just, just basic science. And then the other thing that I think is so funny is that they say, well, you know, you take a couple drops and you'll feel nice and relaxed. Well, since there's no THC, there's no relaxation, there's no euphoria. The, the properties are strictly health-giving, but in order to get those health-giving properties, you have to put literally 20 drops in a cocktail. It would be a $100 cocktail. Mm -hmm. That stuff's expensive. Good, really good quality, full-spectrum, hemp-derived you know, CBD oil is two, $300 for a little tiny vial, and it would be financially impractical to use it in craft cocktails the way it's supposed to be used. Well, and, you're, and you just said that the CBD effects are negated by negated. the alcohol. Of course they are. What would be the point be of CBD cocktails? Well, <laughs> besides a, a marketing device. Well, you know, it's the same thing because I come out of classical liquor and I would tell you, I didn't represent any mezcal companies, but if you see uh, a worm in a bottle of mezcal, pass because that doesn't exist. That's something that's created on Madison Avenue. That doesn't exist in Mexico. There's no worms in the mezcal. It would be dirty. <laughs> you know, they're incredibly clean people. The, you know, the, the process is sparkling clean, even though it's ancient. It's still, you don't want to be adding worms to it. And the same thing with, with CBD in, in cocktails. I mean, why would you put CBD in a cocktail? I mean, I, I just don't get it. And other than the fact that it's a massive moneymaker, if you have a cocktail that normally costs seven and you're charging 15 for two drops of CBD oil in it, you're making money. I want to know how that's done. But yeah. I'm not here to call you out for doing it unless you're using something which I, I have a, you know, a philosophical difficulty with, and that's what they call you know, hemp vodka, where they have you know, pictures of cannabis leaves on the label, and the anticipation is that through drinking this hemp-infused vodka, you're going to get stoned. 
you know, I was at the Vegas bar show last year and the representatives from that company were there. And I looked at them and I said, what are you doing? You know, you're sending a terrible example. People think that they're going to drink this vodka and they're going to get stoned on it. Nothing could be further in the truth, but it's permitted and that's allowed. So it's a moneymaker. And the same thing, in, you know, I'm a rum judge and I judge these rum events all over the country. And I get these rums in front of me that are, you know, they add a ton of extra sugar. Like uh, there's a big company called Plantation. They, you know, not all their rums they add sugar to, but most of them they add sugar to. And I think it's unfair to the consumer because there's no rules in rum as there's no rules in weed. You know, no one's getting into trouble for putting a cannabis leaf on a uh, on a bottle of hemp vodka, just like no one's getting into trouble for uh, saying that their their you know cannabis has twenty nine percent THC when really it tests out to be fourteen. No one, there's no rules. There was a story last month about a bunch of CBD products that uh, had no CBD in them. Well, um, that's true. Yeah, I mean, but since there's no there's no governing body to determine to make any any rules as i said no rules so uh you know i'm not surprised to hear that i think a lot of the hemp uh cbd oil that comes comes from china contaminated with heavy metals not triple tested or quadruple tested as is the, the recommendation here in the united states not saying that everyone is a bad player um i i i would Absolutely not say that everyone is a bad player, but there are a lot of bad players out there. I know there are a lot of bad players out there. When I started getting the spam emails about CBD curing cancer on my, uh, you know, every morning I would get 100 emails, CBD cures cancer, CBD cures cancer. It's like, come on, you're not going to sell it to me. I'm not going to open that that you know, attachment. I'm not going to click on anything, but you know, when, when the spammers are sending that stuff out, it's truly reached its snake oil capacity. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the pendulum has swung for 70, a hundred years. There was the, the propaganda that this is a bad plant. And now we know there's science that says this is a medicinal plant with many amazing properties, right. but yeah, it's swung so far in the other direction that now it's a miracle panacea. You know, we have to kind of police ourselves. You know, I noticed too last week, the U.S. Hemp Authority <laughs> has a certification program. So the industry has to police itself. Well, of course it does. It, but they have to want to police themselves because there's no no governmental oversight in this. It's not like the FTC. And, and I have a very personal experience in this, and I, I want to share that with you. And share it with the reader, with their listeners as well. Uh, my grandfather was in the patent pharmaceutical business, and he manufactured over-the-counter pharmaceuticals that were sold all over the world, and it made him a very wealthy man. And through his one of his products, he gathered the attention of the Federal Trade Commission as well as the FDA, which was uh, flexing their uh, their newly found power. And his product was a product that was a vitamin tonic that uh, that people took twice, maybe three times a day because they felt that they had something called iron poor anemia or iron, you know, poor iron in their blood. And it's something that no one has, but, you know, but the American consumer is essentially stupid. So you could sell them anything. And my grandfather developed a product, or he didn't develop it, but he sold a product, manufactured a product named Geritol. 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 Everybody, yeah. Geritol did absolutely nothing. 
and mm-hmm. it, and I'm the eldest grandson of him. So none none of my illustrious family members that never succeeded at anything, you know, really. So <laughs> I, I, I look at that with a lot of disdain because I say, although it, uh, it, it afforded me a wonderful upbringing, it, it is based on, on a lie because Geritol did everything but cure the disease that they said people had because really the essential uh, ingredients in the product were three ingredients which said to me whiskey and not even good whiskey uh, it was ethyl alcohol caramel coloring sugar and flavorings so four four ingredients and that's that's all it had I mean it didn't really had any anything else it was only until after the FTC find uh, my grandfather's company some obscene amount of money I mean the largest uh, it was the largest case of false advertising in the United States history, and it was my grandfather. It totally changed the the family diametric. I'm sure it killed my grandmother. It was just all sorts of, of badness. And uh, so I, I look at snake oil and I look at CBD in the same light. Why would I, who writes for Forbes, who writes about THC, would go out on a limb and say that any CBD does anything? How could I possibly do that? Have I not learned anything from my own family experience? Are you saying you said the alcohol negates the effects of it? And, you know, CBD, as far as I know, is it's anti-inflammatory, anti-spasmodic, antioxidant. There's there's all these properties that are supposed to be medicinal. Does the, the alcohol chemically change that uh, the way that the cannabidiol hooks up with the CBD receptors? This- I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a scientist. Um, I know what cannabis, what THC does when it hits alcohol. It goes into a beautiful suspension, and it's the way we used to preserve things in the days before uh, before refrigeration took over but uh, with CBD it does the absolute opposite and I I can't explain it but I, I will tell you that I did a an event out in California in Humboldt County and they asked me to make CBD cocktails and you could not tell the difference in flavor between the CBD ones and the ones that were virgin with nothing with you know no CBD no THC no nothing in them and I just knew at that moment through my, you know, building that drink that the alcohol in the drink negated the CBD. There was no, I didn't even have any feeling of relaxation. Like people say, oh, it relaxes you. You feel peaceful and calm. I was like, you know, BS, nothing, no feeling at all. Just a panacea. It was, it was truly like, you know, when you do a a drug, uh, you know, sit for a drug trial, there are certain certain drugs that don't have anything in them. It doesn't have the drug in them. And that's basically what it was. The the ones, the drinks that I put CBD in, as opposed to the ones that I didn't, you couldn't tell the difference. It was not like bitters. It was not like adding THC where you can really taste the terpenes or you can really taste the spiciness, the earthiness of the strains. And so I have a, a an, an integral difficulty working with CBD because I feel like I'm lying to people and I don't want to. Well, and just to be clear, that's within the context of mixing it with alcohol. You're not saying that CBD alone is useless. No, no, no. I'm not yeah. saying CBD alone is useless. I would because I, I'll tell you, I working as a bartender, I severed the meniscus in my right knee, and the only thing that gives me relief is CBD cream. But I will tell you that that it's like putting salon pass times ten into my knee, and I'm able to move and walk and and not limp. I've got a similar experience myself. The balms are amazing. They're amazing. Um, and the best ones are the ones that are derived from THC. Hmm. The this the low the high CBD strains that are derived from from you know from 
can from the cannabis plant, not from the hemp plant. Both marijuana, both you know, both whatever. But there, but one has no THC. One has a, a little bit of THC. I find the ones that have THC in them work better. I believe it. There's a medicinal effect, and there's also a recreational effect. Well, I love the recreational effect. <laughs> <laughs> I love, and I'll and I'll tell you why I love it because, I, I as I said, I used to work in the liquor industry. Our country was built on intoxication. There's nothing wrong with intoxication. Um, I, I do believe in something that we, because I have a serve safe license. I so always say responsible drinking. I believe it applies to cannabis use, responsible cannabis use. You know, I, I think I bought my first, I got my first bong probably like, uh, four months ago or three months ago ever. I never owned one before. Someone sent me a, uh, one for, for review. I've used it like three times. So I'm, I'm very much old school. I like smoking a joint. I like smoking, you know, cannabis out of a pipe. Um, but as far as sitting down and, and dabbing or any of that stuff, it's just way beyond me. But I, I think it's, it's really important to have that tech, the, the ability of not antagonizing people. And that's a very important thing to know about me as a man, as opposed to me as an author. Um, first wife and I having dinner in New York City. I went outside as was my practice to maybe smoke a little little weed before dinner instead of having a cocktail. I went outside, lit up, and was promptly arrested and thrown into jail for 48 hours. They sent me, they took me on the tour of New York City jails from the tombs all the way out to Rikers Island for less pot than, uh, than would fit on my pinky and I have tiny hands. And it's really, really, it was so disappointing. It, it, I, I was entered into the system for something which should not be a crime. And although I was never charged with a crime, and, ne and I don't have a record, still the experience of being in handcuffs for 10 hours was not something that I, that I relish. And, you know, rich kids shouldn't get arrested for weed, but they do. So uh, that's something that happened. And so that's why I wrote Cannabis Cocktails. I didn't write it to give someone a brand new way of, of imbibing, you know, THC. What I did is created a brand new way of imbibing THC that won't get you arrested. You can be undercover and subtle and undetectable. Undetectable uh, and social mm -hmm. because you determine how much, you know, Yaya is in there. You determine that, you, you know, you may not go out and put an ounce of, uh, you know, 28 grams of, of, uh, of 30% THC, uh, you know, cannabis into a bottle of, of liquor, you'd be, you know, totally destroyed, but you might want to put three and a half grams in and, you know, and microdose yourself and make it something that's pleasurable and something that's, that's medicinal. And, you know, and if you take cannabis for medicinal purposes, as I do, it's nice to be able to mix it in, you know, put a little dollop of can of butter on your espresso in the morning and make it bulletproof or, uh, or midday, if you're making a milk punch with a little bit of bourbon, you know, if you live in New Orleans and you want to make it, you know, something a little more exciting. So you have a little bit of uh, THC in that condensed milk or in the heavy cream or, or whatever you're doing. You mentioned butter, but are we also talking about a tincture? I mean, are you decarbing it down into a butter or 
I, I have, but I but I don't use tinctures. Tinctures would throw a a, a craft cocktail out of balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would never use a tincture; it'd be too bitter because the bases of tinctures are like 190 proof Everclear. Okay. I would never use that in a cocktail; it would make it just undrinkable. So I so again, we're we're going back to the infusion technique. You take the whole flowers. And you put them in a mason jar that's open. You don't seal mason jars that are filled with alcohol. And you would put that into a double boiler and simmer it at 200 and not even 200 degrees, at 160 degrees for about two hours. And then let it cool and and top off with fresh alcohol so it puts it into suspension. Drain it out through a uh, through like a a bubble bag or or a um, cheesecloth so it's strained out the cannabis is fully activated into the craft spirit and build your craft cocktails as normal hmm. i just gave you the keys to the kingdom so and then uh, again it's going to be a period of trial and error you're going to titrate this to the yes. dose you want yes very build, carefully right i mean very carefully and build a delicious craft cocktail so what i did on viceland the other night is they wanted to feel something so i let them feel something <laughs> where something. you're at you've been doing this for a while so i imagine you have the, the capability to dial it up and down i can do it i may, i so microdose them they had absolutely they had like oh less than five milligrams of thc but what happened with and what i learned from that experience which is something that I didn't know before is when you put equal amounts of THC with CBD, it supercharges the THC and I destroyed them. Mm. So that's a, that's a learning right there. You bet. (laughs) You bet. And they were not happy. And I learned my lesson and that's the second time this has happened. So I better get it together quick, but it wasn't like I overdosed them. I underdosed them, but the, addition of CBD with THC, it, it just gives the THC a boost. And it's something that I knew about, but I hadn't conceptualized how that would happen until I did it. And, and of course, I, I took the cocktail myself. I, I drank two of them, and it had no effect on me. But I use cannabis in a different level than, than the people who don't drink and don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is a surprising finding because we just talked about the fact that if you put CBD in there alone, the alcohol negates it. But if you put it in with THC, then you have a turbocharged THC cocktail. Charge effect. Yeah. It's, uh, I can't explain it again. No science here. I'm not doctor. Uh, don't even play one on television. But I will tell you that, uh, that it's the dynamic duo hmm. together. Definitely the dynamic duo. And and for someone like myself who has, you know, a documented need to use medical cannabis, it's it's a gift. It's an absolute gift. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the flavor. I mean, cocktails are some people like sweet ones, some like, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of things that people look for. When right. you add THC, are you getting sort of a grassy, dank flavor or? Well, that's, that's a great question. Uh, you don't get a grassy flavor, but you get kind of the flavor of the smell of the cannabis. That really does shine through. And so those terpenes, those essential oils that, that, give us the smells that we seek in cannabis, those diesel fuel, male cat urine, soil, 
uh, crushed pine needles, wet stones, all the things, you know, all those descriptors that we know from the wine business exist also in the cannabis business. And, and why that works so beautifully is that it allows you to think like a culinarian and you start thinking about the drinks going along with different types of food and then different strains of the flowers. And it becomes part of your culinary training. Even if you're not a chef, it be, it helps you think in in flavor, and that's that's my gift, and that's what I teach you how to do in the book: think in think in flavor and act in flavor. But, uh, but again, I I don't make sweet drinks, so there are a couple drinks that could be con- conceived as as sweeter in the book, but I don't use a whole lot of uh, extra sugar. In fact, I don't use any extra sugar. Um, I have one cocktail here. It's a breakfast cocktail. And I always say everything tastes better when your palate is open before you've covered it up with lunch. Um, It has cannabis infused heavy cream, heavy whipping cream, which is the really heavy stuff, Uh, coffee ice cream, just a scoop, Irish whiskey, brandy, vanilla extract, and uh, brewed espresso coffee. But you're getting the THC through an infusion of the the cannabis flower into heavy whipping cream. It works like a pro. It is the easiest thing that you can do. You take the flour that's been decarbed, you drop it into a two cups of uh, of heavy whipping cream, you heat it to 160 degrees for two hours, and then strain it out, and it's perfectly infused, and it'll last for a week. Hmm. It sounds wonderful. The idea is to make you hungry and thirsty. Uh, <laughs> it's so working. Well, I do a New Orleans-style milk punch that we were talking about. Uh, I, I was fortunate to work with a company named Barrel Bourbon, and they just they gave me free hand with, with their spirits. So I use an ounce of Barrel Bourbon, two ounces of cannabis cream made with heavy cream, whole milk, non-medicated simple syrup, a little bit of vanilla extract, some nutmeg, crushed ice, and then a uh, cannabis-infused cocktail bitters, which is so much easier than it sounds. But literally, uh, it's just bitters and uh, and THC, and it takes three drops over the top, and it's done. But uh, the the cocktail is built like a classic New Orleans-style milk punch, except for only you know that there's enough cannabis uh, you know, THC in there to drop down a family of rhinoceros. <laughs> Charging. Charging, uh, yes. yes. Put them right to sleep. Um, you know, I, I also, I love drinks that are the classics, like Manhattan's. And I, I built one called the Mezzerol Cocktail and has a wonderful backstory that I'd really like to share with you because Mez Mezro, he was a jazz musician who lived in Harlem in the 20s and 30s. And as it turns out, Louis Armstrong, who was the, you know, the, uh, cornet player was living in Queens where he lived most of his life. And, uh, in fact, I visited his, his grave recently and it was pretty interesting, but the, uh, the Mezzerol cocktail was named after Milton Mez Mezro, who was Louis Armstrong's weed dealer. <laughs> so he, um, he sold Louis all this great, you know, at that time it was all Mexican weed, but he brought two or four or 6,000 pounds of Mexican cannabis up from Mexico and sold it in Harlem in the 20s and 30s. Wow. Not illegal at the time, but if you ask for a joint or a reefer, you probably would get the attention of the police, and you didn't want that. So a well-rolled cannabis cigarette during the 20s and 30s was called a Mezzerol, named for Mez Mezro, who was Louis' weed dealer. 
and this one is a uh, this one is a Manhattan. It's uh, it has some cannabis infused vermouth. It has crushed ice. It has bourbon whiskey, and it has bitters. And it's simple, simple, simple. But we really want you to use a sativa indica hybrid strain called Cherry Pie. It's redolent of sweet and sour cherries, and it complements the toasty, oaky flavors inherent in the liquors. As far as making the crushed ice, it's best to place the ice in something we call a Lewis bag, which is a heavy canvas bag that's made for the job before whacking it with a wooden mallet or rolling pin. So it's crushed ice. Wow. Again, we're, we're at the intersection of a multi-sensory um, recipe where, you know, you, you're bringing the terpenes and the flavor. There's an aromatherapy sort of uh, function where all these things can affect your, your mood. They can relieve your pain. There's a lot going on when you put all those ingredients together. Yeah. And, you know, I'm especially fond of a drink called the, uh, the absinthe frappe because absinthe, as you know, is the bad boy of, uh, of, of liquor. People drink it and they think they're going to hallucinate. They say, oh, well, the U.S. absinthe doesn't have wormwood in it. That's absolutely a lie. Uh, anything that's, that's written about absinthe in the negative light was created by the French government because absinthe sales were cutting into red wine sales and the farmers were, were upset. So it, absinthe was vilified. Uh, the absinthe that we have today in the United States is the same, if not better, than the absinthe that they had in the fin de sec uh, because it's clean. It's pure. It's not going to get you sick. You're not going to go blind. Um, most of the absinthe that was drunk during the 1800s was very unclean alcohol. So I could see that there would, would have been problems with it. But I love the absinthe frappe because I medicate uh, a absinthe from jade liqueurs called the Esprit Edouard absinthe. And it's a recreation with modern technology and modern recipe of the traditional recipe from the 1800s. So it drinks completely differently than other absinthe. And I build it into the absinthe frappe, which is you know fresh mint leaves, the absinthe, a little bit of rich, simple syrup and seltzer water. Simple drink, classic, and it gets you buzzed mm -hmm. in two ways. <laughs> you know you won't hallucinate. So our audience is baby boomers, um, people my age and uh, We've got the normal things going on. We've got insomnia. We've got some of us are getting arthritis. And, you know, in this world today, you have anxiety. That's why a lot of us are gravitating back towards cannabis. And this is another way to have fun with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the, of course, at the end of the night, there's always, you know, you want a, a digestif or you want something that helps you sleep. And I have the perfect drink to help you sleep. It's a, uh, it's a drink that I call the ardent dreamer and it's a uh, built with orange cognac liqueur, kind of like Grand Marnier. Um, and then I use a, a cannabis infused extra anejo tequila. So an extra anejo is one that's uh, aged extra long in Oak. So it has a very rich earthy flavor to it. And I find when you add a little bit of pink grapefruit juice to it with the orange liqueur, you have a beautiful drink that puts you right to sleep depending on the, uh, you know, the, the end end game, whatever strain that you used. I use actually liked using a, a, a hybrid called gatekeeper OG and it's, they say it's sativa dominant, but I really believe it's indica dominant because it just puts me to sleep whenever I drink it. Just give me an idea of what your kitchen looks like. How many infusions do you have on the shelf at any given time? Absolutely none. My wife is completely against cannabis. She's worried that she's going to grab something and it's going to get her stoned. 
So I have one bottle of olive oil and every night she says, did you use that olive oil in cooking? I said, no, I didn't No, if I, and if I did, I would use, do it on a separate dish and a separate plate and a separate cooking. I just won't do it. Um, I don't have anything really going on here. You know, that's, that's on in the kitchen. If I'm, doing experimentation it's with stuff that i'm doing in my office room which is in in the house but uh it's away from from curious eyes and hands okay for our listeners uh, you know if you make a couple of infusions and you've got your your cherry hill your cherry pie one you've got a sour og or something you've got different infusions for different purposes right and of course yes and and when i when i did the book i created 75 so that was that was pretty important because first off, it's the first book on the topic, so no one has done this before. And creating seventy-five drinks for cannabis is a challenge for anyone's book. But then adding the liquor and then the, of course, the, I did a, a bunch of mocktails as well. So you have to assume that there's a lot of experimentation involved, and I try to make it easy for the reader. And if and and fortunately, if they were to buy my book, Cannabis Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics, they get me. So if they have problems with it, they should reach out to me, and I will walk them through it because I want to make sure that you're satisfied with the experience, that it's not overwhelming, that it feels good, that it does no harm. That's the idea. I'm not looking to get people into trouble. I want to help them do better. That's what I'm looking for. And I know when you're, you know, a, a millennial, it's different than being a baby boomer. It's just different. You're more responsible. You've grown up a bit. You don't have time to, uh, to go to, you know, a weekend of rock and roll shows anymore as much as you want to, but you got other stuff going on. And this, my recipes make it easy to have other stuff go on. So you've got six books out, including Cannabis, Cocktails, Mocktails, and Tonics. Do you have any new projects on the horizon? Uh, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm writing for Forbes in the online space in the Vices section. I, I really, really love what I do there because I pick and choose my own stories. Um, you know, I, I'm not planning on writing another book right now because I just don't have the time for it. I'm just trying to be good to myself. You know, I, I have a pretty big birthday coming up, 58 in May. So uh, I have a lot of travel planned. You know, I, I, I'm on a nonstop quest for information. That's what's going on. Do you do private events or, you know, like the thing you did for Viceland? Do you show up and, and treat people to cannabis cocktails? Yes, I do. Um, but I want to make sure they vet their guest list really well because I really don't want to get arrested. Right. right. I think that's probably accurate. Yeah. So you're in New Jersey. We're seeing prohibition being rolled back state by state. What excites you about that? Where do you think we're going? Uh, do you think we'll see a federal a federal movement to legalize? Uh, I, I don't think under the current administration we're going to see anything uh, towards legalization unless it's linked to something that's politically unsavory. Um, that's not what this conversation is about. Uh, New Jersey is, unfortunately, the people who are in power I voted for. I'm wondering why I voted for them because they're still on the first step of, of legalization in New Jersey. So that one – Fully aside, I don't think New Jersey is going to go recreational anytime soon. I think Pennsylvania has problems with that as well. They just recently introduced medical cannabis. 
I, I've been to a couple of the, of the I, I went to one of the uh, dispensaries in Philadelphia, and they have a long way to go. Um, New York State does not allow flour. They only allow oil. It seems like everyone in the world smokes cannabis in the street in New York City. I don't know why they do. Police still arrest people for it. They obviously haven't gone through what I went through, so they don't care. Um, Nevada, Oregon, California, you know, Washington State, there's no stigma. It's so laid back. You know, you, you may not be legally allowed to smoke in the street, but that doesn't mean that people don't, and they very rarely get arrested for that. So there are, there are worse things that go on in life than that. Um, you know, I'm disappointed in New Jersey. I'm truly disappointed in New Jersey, and I vote in every single election since I got my uh, my voting rights at 18. And I think New Jersey's taken the wrong path. But uh, you know, I can't discuss the you know I'm not going to go into the politics of it because it seems like the uh, the individuals who are most against cannabis are the ones who are the most democratic. So I, you know, what can I say? I don't want to piss anyone off. And I just want to, uh, I, I vote for my heart and I hope that, uh, that, that others at least vote and they should, you know, the, the, the powers that be should put the, uh, the legalization effort into the open, you know, in, into open vote rather than leaving it up to, uh, to politicians to vote because they're just looking at money-making opportunities they don't even smoke cannabis. Right. I mean, I, I look at the, his picture. I just got an email. The American Cannabis Summit Countdown to Legalization featuring former Speaker of the House, John Boner. No one ruined people's lives more than this guy. I would never invest in this company. I cannot imagine after the, the things that, they, that went on during the Bush administration as far as cannabis. My father, my late father – was friends with uh, with the, with the Bush people, and you know they had a house up in Maine, next door to my father's, and they they, he, they always said about me that I didn't pass the sniff test, and now they want me to invest with them. I don't think so. Well, th there's a lot happening. I mean, we had uh, last week we had Amanda Siebert from Vancouver, and she talked about the whole Canadian experiment. And you know, I'm in, I'm in California, and it's um, one step forward, two steps back sometimes. Yeah, you want to make it friendly for small businesses, and it's not quite as friendly as it is for the big businesses. And but we've come a long way in a short time. I mean, it's astounding that. The, the progress in the last five to 10 years, books like yours and what you're doing, uh, being, being on TV on Viceland and spreading the message that this, this is a legitimate medicine that can help you live a better life is, um, thank you for doing that. And thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your expertise with our guests as well. Thomas, my pleasure. And, and if I could do anything in life, I want to at least do what my passion is. And when you share your passion with others, it becomes irresistible. So I hope if anyone purchases my book, it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. And if they run into problems, they should contact me. And I, and I promise if I, if I don't have the time, I'll let you know. And if I do, we'll, we'll walk through it and we'll make it something that works. And I see you on Twitter. And where else can we find you online? Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I occasionally use Pinterest, although not really. Um, I have a website. It's cocktailwhisper.com. So cocktail and then whisperer.com. Perfect. We will look you up. Thanks so much, Warren. Fantastic being here. I appreciate your time very much. Mm -hmm.
You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.